I know many of you may have seen the, the movie The Passion, uh, the one that Mel Gibson did. Uh, but there's also an outdoor play in which they illustrate the passion of Christ. And so there's an actor who was playing a part of Christ in the passion play. And as he was carrying across up the hill, one of the tourists began to heckle him, began to mock him, began to ridicule him. And all of a sudden, he just dropped his cross, went over there and punched him in the face. Well, when the play was over, the director told him, I cannot have you do that. I mean, of all things, you are playing the role of Jesus Christ. You can't walk over and hit somebody. And he apologized. So the next day, as they're having a play, here he is, carrying his cross again. And the tourist comes back. And he's even worse than the first time, now that he got punched in the face. He's heckling him. He's bashing him. He's going on and on. And the guy walked over there and socked him again. Bow! Right in the face. This time the director says, you know what? I'm going to have to fire him. He says, I just can't have this going on. And he begged him, please, give me one more chance. I can have this under control. Please don't fire me. I need this job. He said, this is your last chance. So here they are, the last day. Walking up there. He's carrying his cross, walking up there, and here comes this tourist once again. And he is even more at it. He's got signs. He's spitting at him. He's doing all kind of stuff. And you can tell the actor was holding in. He was tightening his fist. He was gritting his teeth. Finally, he looked over at him and said, I'll see you after the resurrection. You know you know, sometimes it's hard for those that profess Christ to behave like Christ all the time. We carry our cross, but sometimes when people cross us, it's a little different. Now, we want to love people. We know mentally we need to love people, but when we're in the heat of the moment, it's a whole different thing sometimes. And sometimes people say, well, we, we, we have to be just sensitive, and we got to be so like Jesus, because that's all they picture is Jesus carrying a lamb on his shoulder, walking around. But you know, I remember Jesus going into a temple, making a whip, and beating everybody out the temple. It doesn't mean you have to be this passive person because you're following Christ. Because Christ had a passion to glorify his Father in heaven. You know, we have a lot of players in the NBA uh, that are disciples. Uh, in the uh, NFL, um, in Major League Baseball, I don't think there's a hockey one yet. I'm not sure about that. But I was talking to one NBA player that I was sitting in the Bible with. He's like, man, people are just, oh, it's just so much cussing. It's so hard. I said, you know what? They may be six, seven feet tall, but it takes a real man to say what he wants to say without cursing. I said, cursing doesn't mean you're a man. And many times we get it confused. We can be competitive, but we can still be godly in what we do. We can be intense, but still be godly about what we do. And this is what the Bible talks to us about. Look over in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I want to share a couple of scriptures with you here as we get into it. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It says, as long as it depends on you. It didn't say, as long as it depends on that other person. As long as you 
Do what you need to do to be at peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It didn't say be a little bit humble. Be a little bit gentle. It says be completely humble and gentle. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Make every effort. See, that right there is a sermon. Not today's sermon, but a sermon. Are we making every effort to live at peace with people? You know, it may be difficult at times. And not everyone is easy to love. We just got to face it. Not everybody is as easy to love as we think. But if it is possible, we should do all we can to live at peace with one another. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Paul tells us here, he says, there's all kind of ways to live, but I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And that's exactly what it says, 1 Corinthians 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clean symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be sealed. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul is saying, I want to show you the most excellent way. I want to show you a way that can take care of every situation in your life, every relationship in your life. If you listen to what Paul is saying, you can live at peace with everyone. You said, no, wait a minute. The way the world is today, you mean I can be at peace with everybody? Actually, yes, you can. Because the Bible says it. Then he points out this. Because sometimes as Christians, we think we know what we need to focus on. So Paul says, I'm going to give you five things that all y'all Christians try to focus on. And I want to show you that that is not really the focus. You know, on the day of Pentecost, 
They all came together. And Pentecost, again, was like a, a, a spiritual Mardi Gras. People came from everywhere to worship. So Paul makes this clear. The first point I want to talk about is this in verse 1. Paul says that love is more important than spiritual gifts. Verse 1, he says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now again, on the day of Pentecost, when that occurred, the disciples that were there, it says, tongues of fire came to rest on each of them, and they began to speak in tongues. Now the reason they did that is because, you know, here you got these normal, every unschooled, ordinary, Galilean, these men, but yet the people that were there were from so many different cultures, so many different nations, that these guys, once they started speaking, God allowed them to have that gift that no matter what language you spoke in, that's the language you heard from the apostles. He gave it to just those apostles. Not everybody that was there could do it. See, some people talk about, hey, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. No, 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 no. We don't speak in tongues. Every once in a while, I say, I'm saying, I'm a sign But that's not speaking in tongues. I'm just getting my mic on when I do all that. That's all that is. But those 12 had the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, here's what Paul says. He says, even if I could speak, not just your language, but every human language there. Even if I spoke the language of angels, but I didn't love, that gift is meaningless. It's useless. Now, what did he mean by that? Back in the first century, when they would go worship in the temples, they'd have one of those huge gongs. Y'all remember like the gong show, that big thing? They'd have a gong, and they would walk in, and they'd hit it. Boom! And that was to wake up their gods, so that when they started to pray, those gods would hear their prayers. So he said, if I was able to speak in all these tongues, but I didn't love, it would be like just a gong, a clanging cymbal going off. As meaningless as that gong is, and waking up these fake gods, that's how meaningful that gift is without love. It's useless. It doesn't matter how many languages you talk. If it's not about love, it means nothing. And see, so many people are concerned about what gift they have, what gift they have, what gift they have. Only thing you need to be concerned about is how much do you love? How much love do you have? That's the real issue. And so Paul makes this clear. Spiritual gifts is not the number one priority in a real Christian's life. Then he goes on in verse 2. Look at the first part of verse 2. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Paul says right here, listen, love is more important than knowledge. Love is more important. You can be so smart. You can know... uh, psychology, philosophy, theology, and every other ology. You can be all those things, but if you're not a person of love, all your wisdom is meaningless. You can know nuclear science, political science, but if you don't know Jesus and his love, what good is that education? And this is the problem. Sometimes you start reading these books and all these scientists come up, what the world needs is more education. If we can educate people, then they'll fully be different. No more murder. 
It's not about education. What the world needs is more love. That's what's overcome prejudice. That's what's overcome the, all the criminals in the political system. It is about loving people. It's not about let me get more educated. I went to college my first year. I started on the football team as a freshman. So I didn't really care about school. Well, when the season was over, we got our report cards. My first semester, I had a .9 GPA. Only thing I passed was gym class. I told my mother, she said, you ain't coming home, so this needs to change. And you ain't losing that scholarship, so this needs to change. I was like, dang, I guess something got to change. <laughs> I went to summer school. I went to school. I took a bigger load. I was able to graduate with a triple major from college. Because, you know what, it's not just about the wisdom. All that education would have been meaningless if I didn't find Jesus in college. See, I went there thinking, education, education, education. No, I went there thinking, football, football, football. That was my focus. You know what, when your focus is in God, everything starts to decline. Luckily, I became a Christian, which showed me, if I'm a Christian, I have to be a better example in college. And my grades need to be better than the average person. Because if Jesus is with me, how come my grades aren't better? So something's got to change. Now, my mom was a little inspiration, too. But Jesus <laughs> helped out a lot. It says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You look at all those Pharisees. They had so much biblical, scriptural knowledge. By the age 13, they were able to quote and memorize Old Testament. Yes. At 13, we look at this and say, that would be phenomenal. But you know what? They didn't have the love behind the scriptures. Thus, they wanted to kill God's one and only son. It is more important for us to have love than to just have wisdom. So, do we need to read our Bible every day? Absolutely. But it's not just about reading it. You've got to put it into practice and have that love show. You can read everything, but if you're not living it out showing that love, what difference does it make? You need to just say, listen, if I'm not going to live this thing out, I'm not even going to pretend to read this. I'm not even going to fluff around with this thing. And I'm having my quiet times every day. But if you're not a loving person, you need to stop having your quiet time. Why are you wasting your time? All it is is a bad example to your family because they see you reading but don't see you living out. So why read? Just say, I'm going straight to hell. I ain't even going to pretend. I don't even want this no more. I'm just done with it. I'm just waiting for the flames to come on up. But I tell you, stop, drop, and roll does not work in hell. You got to make sure we're living this out and not just putting it in the head. So look at the second part of what Paul says at the end of verse 2. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And this one right here just took the Corinthians back. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. We all need to have faith. You know, it says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It does say that. It doesn't say faith isn't important. Faith is important. But it says love is more important than faith. 
Well, wait a minute, I don't understand that. Let's say you did have enough faith to actually move a mountain from one place to another place. That would be incredible. But if you had that much faith, but you were an unloving, angry, grumpy, mean person, what good is that faith that can move that mountain over there? Because nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to imitate you. I have all this faith. Yeah, but look at you. You as angry as a fat rat in a cheese factory. Why in the world I want to be like you? So you got to ask yourself, man, am I just walking around full of faith? I've never missed church. I'm always at church. I've always taken communion. I took it twice today because I thought I said, I am just so faithful. But it's meaningless if you're walking around bragging about yourself and not a person of love. See, the real issue isn't how much faith you have, but how much love do you have? Is the love really in there? And see, that's what we talked about in, in Luke chapter 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You had the priest and the Levite, a couple of religious people. And they saw that the person that had been beaten up, but nobody went to help them. They knew the scriptures, they had faith, but they didn't have any love for that person. And then the person who was there, the Samaritan, he didn't have as much as they had of faith and knowledge and all that, but he had love. And he was the one that went and helped take care of the person that was hurt. See, that's the question. Because sometimes we can even look at other churches and say, man, they aren't right, but look at all they're doing. You know what? They may not have the gospel down, but if they're having more love than so pe- people that claim to be disciples, I'm rather take my chances with them and their love. Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You want to talk about how much faith you have, let me see it being shown through how much love you have. It's about our love. It's not about faith, my spiritual gifts, how much knowledge I have. Then he goes on in verse 3. Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor. You know what he's saying here? He says, love is more important than generosity. If I give all I possess to the poor. He didn't say if I give, you know, 10%. He said, no, no, even beyond that. If you sold your house, gave up your retirement, you gave uh, your pension, you gave everything to the poor. But it wasn't out of love. It's meaningless. You say, wait a minute, but I do give consistently. Did you give because it was a good communion talk? Do you give because you feel guilty if you don't? Do you give because it's an obligation to the Lord? Or do you give because you love God, you love his people, you love his mission, you love the lost? When you do something out of love, that's much more compelling. You know, you can look at our education system and you can see teachers that teach because they've got to meet the criteria of the state. And then there are teachers that teach because they just love the kids and want to help. There's a huge difference in those two. See, we can even give out of wrong motives. We need to give out of the love that's in our hearts. And then he says here at the end of verse 3, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, he's talking about even if you were a martyr, even if somebody said, 
I'm going to shoot somebody in this bank. Who's going to take the bullet for him? I'll take it for him. Even if you feel like you're going to be a martyr for the Lord, but it's not out of love, it's so you can be highlighted, so you can be acknowledged, that's meaningless. I served the kids kingdom for 14 years. Did you do it because you love the kids? Or did you do it so you can say, I served in there 14 years. I haven't served at all. How much love do you have for the kids? Jesus said, bring them to me. He wanted to be around a little kid. Some people don't want to be around little kids. They get on my nerves. I'm too old to be fooling around with these little things anymore. I understand. I'm getting older too. I've been down the time my shoes. I think, what else can I do while I'm down here? That may not be able to get back up and go back down. I just take care of it all when I'm down here. But you got to ask yourself, do you serve because you love? If you haven't served the kids' kingdom and you can't remember when, you got to ask yourself, do I not love the kids enough? Do I not love the church enough? Because when people come and put their kids there, you know what? If their kids have such a great time, they're going to come back. Because little Jamal is going to be saying, Mama, we need to go to church. Daddy, you're going to have to get up so we can go to church. And they're going to keep nagging them and bring them back. But if we're not able to equip our kids seeing them like that, think of the impact that makes. So you say, what is my role? Maybe your role is to help out once a year in kids kingdom. We have enough people that you don't have to keep serving forever. Just once a semester in probably two or three years. That's all it is. See how quiet it gets when we start talking about kids kingdom? Oh, we want to talk about love, but whoa, slow up now. Now you're making me put it into practice. Hold on. We're getting to the practical part in a minute. But see, the issue isn't your faith. It isn't your attendance in here. It isn't how loud you are in here. It's about your faith, your love for the children. So we look at these things and Paul says, listen, you guys can do some great things, but do not leave out love because that is the most excellent way. So, how should we put these things into practice in our everyday lives? Look over in John chapter 13. We know it, but you know what? Again, it's not going back to how much we know. It's going to go back to what are we going to do with it. In John 13, verse 34, Jesus says something here that is incredible. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. John 34 and 35, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, if... You love one another. A couple things he says here. First of all, he says, this is a new command. And he said, no, wait a minute, how is this a new command? Well, the old command was love your neighbor as yourself. So you should love people the way you want to be loved. And everybody can embrace that. I know, because this is what I need. And so if you love me the way I love me, because I love me, then we're going to get along. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You need to love them the way I would love them. See, the way you would love them, that's pretty selfish. But the way I would love them is selfless. See, if you're in a relationship, uh, I had to learn this in my marriage. 
See, I'm not one, I, I don't need you telling me all kind of stuff. You're doing great and I love you and look how cute you are and all that. I don't need all that. I just need us to keep our house clean, have food on the table, and let's be happy together. Well, see, that's not how she functions. She needs more encouragement. She needs me to verbally express things. But that's not the way I grew up verbally expressing it. So in my mind, you don't need it because I don't need it. See, that's not loving the way Jesus loved. Jesus said, whatever she needs, that's what I need to become and give to her. And this is what we got to focus on. See, so many times, if it's not what we think, we don't go after it. We don't do it. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I don't think about myself. I'm thinking about other people. So I have to find out what does somebody else need? What is their love language? And that's what I need to get to. But see, the world doesn't work like that. The world acts like you fall in love like you fall into a ditch. I fell in love. Or you fall out of love like you fall out the tree. Slip one, boom. One little thing can happen and you fall out of love. Look how many divorces going on. One little thing happened and this marriage is over with. See, that's not the kind of thing that God's talking about. So the world writes songs about all these things. I can't help falling in love with you. (laughs) Then they break out, you lost that love and feeling. (laughs) See, that's that's, that's how the world operates. And I ain't going to pull out the old Whitney song on you there, but... See, that's how the world operates. You can love somebody, then when it don't feel good, go love somebody else. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God commands us to love each other. You know what that means? That means I can will myself into loving you. In other words, I can make that decision to love you. I choose whether to love you or not to love you. You choose whether to love me or not to love you. See, God won't command something that you can't do. He won't put more on you than you can handle. You say, wait a minute, you don't know my boss. You don't know my spouse. You're right, I don't, but God does. So God is saying you can love them if you choose to love them. You say, well, what does that really mean? Well, first of all, forgiveness is a part of love. And you got to ask yourself, is there anybody in this room that you have not forgiven? I mean, seriously, man, see, before you say, yeah, I don't forgive everybody. Remember, God knows what's going on in your heart. You may say, yeah, I forgave them, but you haven't hugged them. You haven't even high-fived them. You just give them that Christian attitude hug, like, don't come around me, but we cool. Do you have any kind of issues with anybody? Because if you do, you're the one that's in the wrong. Because you can choose to forgive. There was somebody, there's a guy who was over me in the Lord, and he did some things to me way, way back in the day, long, long time ago. And, it, and I never, ever got an apology. And I moved from state to state to state all over the place. And it was still, stuff would come up and I would remember what this individual did. And you know what? That stuck with me for a long time. 
Until I made a decision, you know what? I don't even need an apology to forgive this person. I'm just going to forgive them. Because you know what? It is what it is. And what did Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them, for they do not even know what they're doing. Is that our attitude? Or do you have to have an apology in tears before you forgive? You can't just say, I'm sorry. No, it's got to be, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is that where people got to grovel to you to get you to forget? Or the fact, you know what, before you even apologize to me, I've already forgiven you. See, this is what you got to talk about. I've been here six weeks, and there are some things I've heard, some issues from 16 years ago. Guys, you got to let that go. My issue is you're not a disciple. Not the person that hurt you, but you, because you aren't willing to forgive them. But you don't know how bad. I believe they legitimately hurt you. But wasn't Jesus legitimately hurt hanging on the cross with nails in his wrists and in his feet? You got to ask yourself, why? Why am I not letting this go? I'll tell you why. Because you're living in another kingdom, once again. The kingdom of bitterness and unforgiveness. See, you're not living the most excellent way. The most excellent way is to love. You say, well, that, that's just not easy. Look over Philippians chapter 2. It, it, Jesus didn't say it's going to be easy, but he did say, deny yourself, carry your cross daily. He didn't say when you feel like it or when you think about it. He said daily. Now, what kind of love is he talking about? Look at uh, Philippians 2, verse 1. It says, imitating Christ's humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, then that alone says, if you're happy to go to heaven, there you go. This is you. Because that's an encouragement. Any encouragement being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That right there is a sermon I'm going to preach another another time, not today. I don't think, maybe. And here's the way Jesus loved. He said, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In other words, be selfless. Unselfish. We need to think about other people. Okay, now how would this apply? Let's say you walked away from this. And you said, you know what? I may not listen to him all the time, but today I'm going to listen to what he said. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to be different. I'm not going to worry about my wife my kids, my neighbor, I am going to be different. So you get home, and then all of a sudden your spouse just starts, but what are we going to eat? What's going on? And it's, you know, just coming at you. But you chose to be different. You know what? Whatever you like to do, I'm totally open. Uh, I can work whatever. And I said, the kids come up. What are we going to do? I need you to take me to this place. Hey, can you do this and that? You know what? Let's just relax a little bit. Let's talk about it. I'll be happy to do what we need to do. Let's just talk together. Let's say you change. Nobody else but you. Now, 
Think of how that affects the dynamic in your family. You know it takes two to tangle. It takes two to argue. So if you're married and just one person acts like Jesus, it's going to be okay. So they're coming at you and one person is humble. You know what? As loud as that person gets, it just starts to die out after a while. Oh, so you don't want to fight, huh? Is that what it is, huh? And, and you know what I'm talking about, because it just takes a little bit. But if you choose to be humble, it just breaks it down. I mean, there's been times that I've been going at my wife, and I'm like, yeah, so well, what are we going to eat? Well, I'm going to cook. I don't, I don't hear the smoke alarm going off. You ain't cooking nothing. What are we going on? I mean, just start throwing out stuff. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I just need a little bit of rest, but I'm going to cook for the whole family. And then I'm like, no, well, let's talk about why you haven't got it done yet. Like, I'm ready to fight. And she's like, well, I, I really I just don't feel like fighting. I just want to. And I'm like, oh, shit. All right. You must have been talking to somebody. Still trying to jab a little bit. No, I haven't talked to anybody but Jesus. I'm like, all right. All right. So you think of how to change the atmosphere of the home if the parents love each other. Now all of a sudden your kids are a little bit more secure. Now all of a sudden the kids are like, you know how sometimes kids are ask mom something and then ask dad and kind of get them going at each other? But now they're on the same page and they're like, man, I, who do I go to? I guess I better just give up. Now all of a sudden the kids are more secure. Now all of a sudden the kids are feeling more happy. All of a sudden your pet dog is wagging his tail for the first time. You didn't even know he had a tail, but now he's happy all of a sudden. One person going home and being different can change the whole dynamic of the house. How much more would two people change? See, and here's the thing. Not only in your family, but as Jesus said in John 13... By this, all men will know that you're my disciple. You start changing, all of a sudden your neighbors start liking you. All of a sudden, your extended family are no longer outlaws, but in-laws. Now all of a sudden, everything is starting to be, you know, it's a brighter day today. It's the same day. You just changed your heart. The grass is greener all of a sudden. It ain't green, it's the same color it was, but you changed your heart. See, when you hold the Jesus teachings, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Too many times we are still trapped in being selfish, selfish, and not selfless. It's important for us to understand. We cannot live the way the world wants us to live. You know, I was, I, my daughter was watching TV the other day, and I was like, hey, I need you to do something. And she just totally didn't hear me. And I'm thinking, hey, hey, hey. But she was so caught up in what she was watching, she really didn't hear what I was saying. Have you ever been like that, so caught up into something that you kind of blocked out everything else? See, this is what Jesus is saying. You can be so caught up in somebody else's life that you're not even thinking about yourself anymore. You're so caught up in what excites them, what hurts them. What does it feel like to have special needs? What does it feel like to be a minority? What does it feel like to be a woman? What does it feel like to be a, a black man driving down the street? What does it feel like to be like, you're so caught up in what other people feel that it's no longer about you. Now you're thinking, well, what can I do to help you? 
how can I help your life be more secure? How can I help you feel more comfortable? See, Jesus said, this is the mindset he had. This is what we need to embrace ourselves. Look over in Romans chapter 12 as we close out here. Romans chapter 12. It is important for us to be that light in the dark world. Again, why are we shutting down the basketball? Because we had a spiritual focus, but then the worldliness came in, and then our bright light started to get a little dimmer, a little dimmer, a little dimmer. Then it started getting dark. Then it looked just like the world. See, this is where we have to stay that shining bright light, even in the workplace. Ask yourself, are you still a bright light or has it become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer? And pretty soon, you're just like every other co-worker there. Is it like that at school? Is it like that when you go to the grocery store? I mean, ask yourself, when you're around your family, are you still a bright light or is it just dimming out slowly, slowly, slowly? It's important for us to realize we need to be that example of Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, it's been said, people will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. The most important thing is how much do we love people. No matter what situation you're in, your boss is the meanest person on the planet, act like Jesus. Your spouse is just having one of those hissy fits, act like Jesus. Your kids are out of control, act like Jesus. No matter what it is, go back to having the mindset of Christ. Because when we do that and we can imitate his humility, then and only then can we be living the most excellent way. And to God be the glory. Amen.